Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Slash Filmcast, the official podcast of SlashFilm.com. I'm David Chen, and with me are... Evendra Hardwire. Jeff Kanata. And Christy Puchko. Welcome to the show, everyone. You can find more episodes of this podcast at SlashFilmcast.com. Email us at SlashFilmcast at gmail.com. Today, we're going to be discussing what we've been watching. We've got a bunch of stuff uh, to talk about there. Uh, and talk about Stubbs A-List as well, which is something we brought up uh, a week or two ago. Uh, and talk about our experience using that because that's kind of helped us to watch a lot of things we've been watching. Uh, and then if we have time, we'll do a slash film court and then move on into an in-depth review. This week we'll be reviewing Ant-Man and the Wasp. Uh, but before we get to any of that, I would say that we got a lot of positive feedback on the last episode of the podcast. Um, yeah. More, more positive feedback than... Uh, I don't know, than we've gotten in recent memory. I think people really enjoyed that episode. You, we've um, forgotten what it was like. I forgot uh, what it was like to be loved. Yeah. It's amazing. More people, so many people were like, you know what's great about your show is when you review five movies instead of one. Yeah, do that every week, yeah, please. Do that, do that more, please. Please do that more. Um, so, yeah, uh, really appreciate everyone who listened to our Mission Impossible retrospective. We had so much fun doing it, and... Uh, I, I would say, you know, a lot of people said, oh, well, you should do retrospectives more often. I think the Mission Impossible franchise kind of hits this, um, what do you call it? This kind of sweet, sweet spot, spot, right? Yeah. yeah. Where it, it is kind of uh, very, it's like mass entertainment, but it also has enough going there in terms of, you know, all, all the different directors to give film geeks something to geek out about. has a lot of action in it that's really quality. And it's like starring a, a huge... Uh, major star that that as a result of that, you know, many people have seen those films. Yeah. And right? it spans it's, decades. Yeah, it's over twenty five yeah. years of movies. Yeah. It's uh, it's crazy. It's one series over twenty five years with the same star. I, I, yeah, it's a it's a kind of a unique little unicorn in the what, world. What I'm trying to say, and I'm not doing a very good job of saying it, is <laughs> I think if we did like a Fast and Furious retrospective, I don't think yes. it would be quite as well received. Do you know what I mean? I mean, like, I, I disagree with that, but... <laughs> also, I would be 100% in for that. Yeah. I'm yeah. <laughs> it's also a 20-plus year franchise uh, with a world-renowned star, the D's. Come on. <laughs> that like, took a few movies off yeah, and then yeah, came yeah. back. Yeah. But, uh, um, okay, Fast and Furious is a bad example, but you know what I mean. Like, yes. I guess it's just like not Transformers. That, yeah, Transformers. <laughs> well, I, that's actually people. Those have been pretty popular. I'm too. busy that week. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess I yeah, just I'm don't feel like do there's that. that many uh, franchises that a would have that much interest and b right. that we'd actually enjoy talking about for that. Long. Right? Do you know what I mean? Uh, so. That said, if you have any ideas, do feel free to email us uh, at slashfilmcast at gmail.com. We'd be interested in hearing them. Uh, All the Daniel you... Craig Bond movies. Let's yeah. do that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's the thing. That's the thing. It's like <laughs> there is usually it, – it's hard for a franchise to maintain like a consistently high quality of film, you know? Yeah. yeah. Uh, and usually there is a sharp fall off after number three, if not by number three. <laughs> so uh, Mission Impossible, one of the few franchises that is consist- has consistently been uh, excellent or at least very interesting. Uh, all that said – uh, there were a few things that we missed in our review last week. We, we got a bunch of tweets, got a bunch of emails, and there's a few things that, uh, looking back on that episode, I'm like, oh, man, I really wish we had mentioned that. 
Um, one of the things that we didn't mention uh, was Brian De Palma. We talked a little bit about him and and kind of the overall noirish feel of Mission Impossible One. But I forgot to mention some of the hallmarks of Brian De Palma that really make his movies uh, his own. Uh, mm-hmm. There's a bunch of split diopter shots in the yeah. movie, right? Yeah. Uh, which basically, I don't, I don't think you really see those in, in any, any of the other films, or you rarely see them. Split diopter shots, basically, for those who don't know, is um, it's that crazy part where Tom Cruise is on the train, and then that split <laughs> diopter almost gets him. Mm, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The split Jeff. diopter uh, explodes uh, in the uh, tunnel, and then pretty no? rough, Jeff. Pretty rough. No, um, pretty no, rough. I'm giving that a slow clap. Yeah, um, maybe a slower no? one. Um, but it, it's <laughs> something you'd find in like 70s movies, which yeah. kind of shows like the pedigree working on that movie. Yeah, right. It basically is like you have uh, objects or characters in frame uh, on left and right side of the frame, and they're very ve- like far away from each other. So one's very far away from the camera, one's very close, but they're both in focus. It's a very like st- stylistic choice to have them both in focus. Um, and you need to use uh, what's called a split diopter to achieve that effect, or, or a diopter to achieve that effect. Um, a lot of those shots in Mission Impossible One and uh, uh, really kind of make it very distinctive. Um, another thing that I love in Brian De Palma movies is point of view shots. There's like a, a bunch of point of view shots uh-huh. um, yeah. in that movie, like when he first gets to the uh, the embassy or whatever in the first mission and. Uh, later on, when he gets his, the sack put over his head, mm-hmm. um, Brian De Palma Reminds used me yeah. Go ahead. That crazy shot in the Untouchables, right? Which is just yeah, yeah so good. I, I think we're all forgetting, you know, some of the great, one of the greatest Brian De Palma films of all time, Nicolas Cage's Snake Eyes. You know, which also used <laughs> abundantly the point of view shot. Isn't that also a great entirely, movie? Entirely yeah. in a point of view shot. <laughs> so we're inside Nicolas Cage's point of view the entire movie. I don't think that's correct, uh, but uh, it, it is <laughs> incredible. Maybe it just felt like that. <laughs> yeah, I think that's correct. I think that's true. I think that's true. Um, and I don't think we shouted out the aquarium scene either, which uh, at the time was the centerpiece of Mission mm-hmm. Impossible One's marketing. Uh, yeah, that was uh, that was the big stunt that he did in that movie. Was, I remember uh, that being much bigger in the nineties, and now watching it now, it's like that's a tiny aquarium, isn't it? It's uh, yeah, not very big. But I remember watching the making of features for that, and uh, when when they shot it, the whole thing takes place in you know eight seconds. Is like kaboom, water flows down, and it's like eight seconds over. It happens so quickly, and that was one of the first experiences I had realizing what a dramatic effect slow motion had in movies compared to like how it was shot in real life. Um, but anyway, wanted to give a shout out to that aquarium scene when he uses the gum to like detonate the, the glass. Uh, super cool. Several people called me out for not mentioning Hans Zimmer's excellent score in Mission Impossible 2. Mm-hmm. Uh, instead, and all the cool '90s grunge rock hits. Yeah, too. <laughs> yeah. yeah uh, Mission Impossible 2 soundtrack is a who's who masterpiece of, of uh, things that i am now embarrassed i might have it's used a masterpiece like. time like capsule I, is the one you're looking for <laughs> you got I did limp, that limp biscuit song, limp biscuit uh, butthole during surfers, karaoke it was quite good god smack uncle cracker <laughs> yeah, apartment baby. 26 buck cherry tin fed powder it's like, finger it's like an entire Lollapalooza lineup <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> pretty rough pretty rough but yes hans zimmer uh, did some great work with the classical guitar in Mission Impossible 2 and uh, wanted to give him a shout out for that because that was truly great. And finally, um, a couple people pointed out in Mission Impossible 3, which is Jeff Kanata's favorite film of the franchise. I got um, a lot of support for that, by the way. You did. You did. Uh, Mission Impossible 3, uh, we didn't mention how 
interesting it is that there is an entire Mission Impossible heist sequence that takes place off camera. Yeah. Uh, and J.J. Abrams was saying, how what if we had a heist but didn't show it at all? You know, and that's that, a very that, Abrams move, by the way. Yeah, yeah he's yeah, done totally. that quite a bit. Totally. And so yeah, that, I, the scene you're referring to is when everybody is 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 they're talking in the car, and then you just hear Tom Cruise say, "Go, go, go!" <laughs> and he leaps out the window. Yeah, that's right. Uh, that's right. Which is so fun. It's such a yeah. fun moment of like we imagine all the craziness that went in on in there that he has to be escaping from. Yeah, and because you've been set up to know how crazy it is from the first two films, right? right? So that you can just kind of imagine for yourself what it is. But then it gets crazier after that when he base jumps off the off the building. Right. Uh, but it was a really clever Fulcrum. move to do that, yeah. Um, anyway, Christy, uh, weren't able to get you on for last week, but did you have any favorite, do you have a favorite Mission Impossible movie or scene? So my dirty secret is that they all blend together into just one giant movie for me mm, as soon sure, as I've seen yeah, them. Sure. Um, but I do remember really, really loving the Rebecca Ferguson scene where she takes her shoes off and then beats the hell out of people. Was that go to call? <laughs> it's uh, like those movies Rogue are great. Uh, Rogue well, Nation. Rebecca Ferguson, I don't, I don't remember Rebecca Ferguson beating the hell off people, uh, beating people after taking her shoes off. Well, the, uh, the very first scene, the introductory yeah, she scene, takes she her takes off her shoes. Off. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. It because, was a very distinct image, especially because it came right after Jurassic World, where like mm-hmm. Bryce Dallas Howard is running around in like a spotless white outfit the whole time, and then this happened, and it felt like a commentary on that, which obviously mm. it wasn't because it happened right after, but it just like was very sharp in my memory. That's, um, that's my, I'm, I, I'm actually proving your point because uh, Paula Patton in Mission Impossible Four goes protocol also takes her shoes off and beats the crap out of people. Yes, um, yeah, I'm getting it mixed up with awesome. That, so. Yeah, it's totally possible. There's like there's just so many good things in those movies. Like I'm so excited for the new one in part because. I'll be honest, my favorite thing that happens in the trailer for the new one is when Henry Cavill like, um, flexes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And... Yep, sorry. Uh, That's I, it. That's all uh, I'm saying. Henry Cavill's arms. Henry Cavill's arms. Yeah, spoiled. I'm... You're spoiled, David and Jeff, for Henry Cavill's arms. Look out, Cavill's guys. Arms. He has arms. I, Deal with I, it. It's, I, no. threw, I threw my earphones out of my ears. That's hilarious. That is all I was saying. For the people yeah, listening yeah. who are super spoiler-averse, that was the end of my comment. And people who watch trailers are like, no, I know it. I know what she's talking about. I get it. It's literally... It is Lock a gift load. that I'm obsessed Lock with. Yeah. Load, Christy. Yeah. Yes. Um, yeah, I haven't rewatched these in a while. I probably will before I go to the screening for the next one. Uh, but yeah, I super love them. They were always so much fun. I think I had the original on VHS because I was slow to adapt. Uh-huh. I feel like that's mm. accurate. Yeah, yeah, I think that I might, might be true of me as well. It was that like really classy, like Tom Cruise silhouette in the blue with the red letter. Yeah, with, like steel oh, yeah. looking. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You, guys, nice. you guys had legal VHSs, so okay, <laughs> fancy over here. Mine had yeah. like a white label, and I wrote Mission Impossible on it. That was mine. <laughs> I had that for a lot of rated R movies that I taped on HBO while my parents were sleeping, and they were all pan and scan. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That was a brutal day when I learned that was a thing and then looked at all my VHS tapes and weeped and then set them on fire. <laughs> no, I didn't. They're still under my bed. Who has a VCR? <laughs> I am not as hardcore about avoiding trailers as Jeff Kanata is, but I have worked so freaking hard to avoid every single trailer for Mission Impossible Fallout. Like every GIF on, if I even like in my perif, I can if I see it in my perif on Twitter, I'm like a GIF in your oh, perif, GIFs, perif. Yeah. GIFs in my perifs. I'm just I nope out of there, guys. I, I nope am out sorry. Of there. I know you guys are spoiler adverse, but considering that image is literally everywhere, <laughs> I didn't think of it as a spoiler. That is yeah. my apology. It's all yeah. good. It's all good. But yeah, yeah I, I'm, I'm very s- excited. I got that invite in my uh, in my email, and I literally just let out like a little like oh, like I was just like let's do this. I'm 
ready. It's Mission Impossible time. I won't remember the plot ten minutes later, and I don't care. Did you guys see the the quote? Evidently, he said he wants to keep making these until he dies. I think that was. I'm uh, oh, pretty sure that was fake news, Jeff. Was that was that apocryphal? Yeah, yeah. I, I don't I don't like using that term, David. Have you seen the footage? <laughs> this is not a spoiler, but have you seen the footage where he broke his ankle? Like that came out like a year ago. Yeah, that's pretty yeah. rough. Pretty rough. <laughs> um, but yeah, I am super psyched about Mission Impossible uh, Six uh, Fallout, and I am planning to see that movie no fewer than four times in theater. So I'm really excited about it. Um, but. How, How am you, I going to – Let me ask you this question, David. Yes, ask do you, me this question. You, do you make that – I mean I think we all agree. We're all on the page that we expect this to be excellent. Yes. But – and it seems like a fairly sure thing. But do you make that plan regardless of your first viewing Are your tickets spot already? Yeah. That's do you – if you came out of the first viewing of something that you intend to see four times in the theater, do you still follow through with – with viewings two through four? Um, no, I will tell you that I have already acquired, uh, you know, I, I already have plans for my first two screenings. So like I've done, I've I already like literally impressed. bought tickets uh, for the, for this, mm-hmm. you know, I have a screening for the first one, a, a press screening for the first one. And I've bought tickets mm-hmm. for the second screening already. Oh, okay. So, okay. Uh, with that said, Jeff, if I hate it, um, I am not going to watch it three and, you know, times three and four, but I, I just don't think that's going to happen. Um, so, so fingers crossed. I have yeah. made I have made the plans, Jeff. Does that answer your question? I guess. I'm, yeah, I'm, half, I'm it, halfway it, into the. To you the will def, you will definitely be seeing it at least two times. That's correct. That's correct. Yeah. I mean, I accidentally. Um, I mean, I, the, the the greatest shame. You know, Dave Chen tries to follow through on his plans. My greatest shame is uh, Transformers: Dark of the Moon. There were multiple press screenings for that movie when I was still living in Boston. And I RSVP'd for two screenings because I was so confident that I was going to like that movie. Oh um, wow! And because I RSVP'd for time, yeah, I couldn't. I couldn't back time. out of it. And that movie was like an excruciating experience. Um, That's amazing. You went both times. I went both times because I didn't want to. Like, oh man, I would have. I would have a hundred percent have sent an email being like, "Oh, I'm stuck at work," or "I have yeah, leprosy." Family emergency. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's spontaneous leprosy. I think yeah, I was kind of. I think at the time I was kind of like. Um, I, I, I didn't want to be seen as difficult dedication. by the publicists. Sure. You know what I mean. Um, so anyway, bad bad move on my wow. part, and I deeply. I will never think of that movie the same way again. I will always think of Dave Chen sitting through it twice. <laughs> That's simply lack of creativity on your part, Dave. You can't come up with an excuse. <laughs> you're you're willing to put yourself through that for lack of creativity. That's what that is. Yeah, I mean the, the thing is, it's you gotta you gotta remember Transformers One was pretty good, you know, at least in my opinion. It, like, might not have been a great will, film, but it was I like will disagree with that strongly. But <laughs> it was ahead. an enjoyable time at the theater. It's watchable. Yeah. yeah, it is completely watchable. It is not great. a good sit. No. All right. All right. Well, anyway, <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, so I'm planning on watching uh, Mission Impossible Fallout a lot of times, and you know what's going to help with that, guys? Is AMC Stubbs A list. Um, Explain so, this to me, because you asked if I was a member. Is that accurate? Mm-hmm. Uh, I asked if no, you were a member, and I was stunned that Christy Puchko did not even know what it was. Which, of all people, Christy. Which, I, mean, I know. Yeah. Yeah. What? It's a, it's a shot. You know, you guys, you ever know, like, when, like, you've been following a show or, like, a sport or something, and then you talk <laughs> to someone? Like, this has consumed your life, 
And then you talk to someone and you're like, yeah, what did you think of like Lord of the Rings Return of the King? And they're like, what? I didn't know that was even out. You know, they made three of them. Yeah. Uh, it's like, I like wow. Your example like, took place in 1999 yeah. or whatever that was. 2002, whatever that was. It's like, wow. Like, you just realize someone else's entire reality is different than yours. <laughs> you know what I mean? Okay. So AMC Theaters re- uh, recently launched a subscription service. For $20 a month, you can see three movies per week. Um, and you can use those movies uh, however you want. You can th- see three movies in a day. You can see IMAX movies. Um, they can all okay. be Mission Impossible this 6. They can all be Mission Impossible 6, which mm-hmm. is probably what mine are going to be. Yeah. And uh, I actually released my review of uh, AMC Stubbs A-List over at SlashFilm.com. If you Google you know, Stubbs A-List review, it's like I think the first two results on there. Um, so you can check it out there. did a video review as well, uh, and I was grateful that AMC provided me access to it um, on the opening weekend. But Devinder Hardware, you are also a member of the Stubbs A-List, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. And it's uh, it's great. Yeah. I mean, I used to use – I used MoviePass back in the day before it was cool, guys. Okay? I, I was spending <laughs> – When it was like $30, 40 dollars a month. Pass. Yeah. yeah. I was spending cool? – <laughs> Well, when it was $10. It became yeah. very cool. Yeah. Uh, it, it's a huge hit now, Jeff. Come on. I've gotten it for uh, my parents as a gift, so I don't think it's cool anymore. It's like yeah. something on Facebook. Well, there you, there you go. That's Jump it. But, so I've used MoviePass before. I've always been frustrated with how MoviePass works because uh, the limitations of how you get tickets, you can't reserve seats, you, there are all these, you can't get to certain screenings. And uh, by the time I was ready to leave was when like I was trying to go to screenings and um, it just wouldn't work for a particular showtime or something. It's just all very annoying. Um, AMC Stubbs. Works for everything. I used it for a Dolby cinema screening of Ant-Man the Wasp this weekend. That ticket cost $23 uh, and something in New York. I bought that one ticket and the subscription like paid for itself. Paid for itself and then some. You know? And then some, and I was able to reserve that seat like a like a human being, <laughs> like a civilized person who lives um, in a society. Yeah. Right? So uh, you know this entire. Th- I think the first weekend I tried to use it, there were some bugs. I tried to see um, uh, Leave No Trace with it, and like it, it wasn't properly like buying the ticket, so I ended up just paying for that. But I think it's uh, they've kind of ironed out the kinks, and it works flawlessly. It uh, it does what I needed to do, and uh, luckily in New York, I think uh, all the all the major chains I prefer are usually AMC theaters. So I'm I'm totally fine with this. Probably less useful if there's no AMC near you, though. Yeah, agreed completely. Um, I think it's a great deal. Uh, we we got some flack uh, for the show uh, after our conversation about this a couple weeks ago. People saying we were we were too harsh on MoviePass. Um, Christy, are you a MoviePass subscriber? By I'm any not. Chance? Okay. Yeah. Um, I know. I, I I you know I use Adam, which actually doesn't have uh-huh. a subscription, and it's just a way to purchase movies. But they have a bunch of like Bogo deals and stuff, or like yeah, it'll be like yeah. five bucks off to see this or whatever. And I don't know. I like that because it just gives me an easy way to buy movie passes. Um, Christy, you need to do the AMC thing, just because <laughs> like for what you do, like it will I, save your life. No, but I get that, but I don't actually, like, I don't know. I don't know that it would be worth it because there's so many movie theaters in New York. I don't know that I want to commit myself to right, AMC. Right, Yeah, And you're, you're sure. pointing to one of the biggest downsides of, of AMC Stubbs A-List, which is you have to go to AMC theaters. And um, for a lot of people, uh, they either don't have that many AMC theaters around them or the AMC mm-hmm. theaters they have near them are crappy or they don't play the movies they right. want. Um, and so I, I would say, you know, I live in a place, I have five AMC theaters within 30-minute drive of me. Um, right. And they're very diverse, and some of them have indie films, and some of them have first-run mm-hmm. movies. You know, like, 
it's very diverse. And so I'm in a good AMC situation. You know, yeah, I have right. good AMC situational awareness. Uh, but if you're not that situation, I can totally understand why it's not a good option for you. And of course, it's also twenty dollars a month instead of Movie Pass is ten dollars a month. Yeah. I, I did want to just say one thing about Movie Pass real quick, which is I do acknowledge it has really changed the industry. And there's a lot of people who are seeing movies today who wouldn't be seeing them if they didn't have Movie Pass. You know, and and on that mm-hmm. level, it's great that Movie Pass has gotten more people into seeing movies. I think I'm annoyed at them because. Uh, it just doesn't seem to be really particularly well run. You know, I see kind a lot of people. Of a terrible business right now. I, I see yeah. a lot of people complaining about it. And, you know, I've worked at companies that, you know, where I see operational excellence and see it as something to be valued. And um, I don't really see that with MoviePass. I see a lot of complaints about their operations. And so that's really it where. It seem like something a third party can do well. Right. You know, it seems that's... like a, a, the challenges of having a third party try to do this across all theater chains seems logistically a nightmare. Especially and when one of the theater chains is like actively fighting you, you know? Yeah. Right. <laughs> and it's, it's a bummer that with the AMC and whatever potential future chains jump on this bandwagon, it's a bummer that you have to lock yourself into a particular brand. But I think ultimately the end user experience is going to be much better for having that restriction yeah. because it, it will, yeah. you know, the, 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 theaters themselves will be still making their money through popcorn. And yep, so they yep. don't right. care, you know, they don't care so much and it can be, you know, it can be a better experience all the way around. Whereas movie pass doesn't have that luxury of, they don't make any money from the popcorn. So, you right. know, right, right, right. Although it's kind to, of a, yeah. it's basically a beta test, right? It's a beta test for how this model of cinema mm-hmm. works. And I think it's like they, those theaters can look and see like, Oh, 10 bucks a month, everyone's buying it, but their business is on fire and, you know, they need to get uh, – I think they're trying to get more debt funding to, to even be able to stay in business. Yeah. Um, whereas $20 seems like a more viable spot, especially for, you know, a chain, like you're saying, Jeff. Like, yeah, right. it doesn't actually cost the theater much. Um, and when I went to see Ant-Man this weekend, I, uh, you know, I had to buy concessions because I had nothing else to eat. So <laughs> it works. The plan works. And I'm fine with it because uh, that Dolby screen, guys, that is yeah. the best thing like that is my favorite cinema viewing uh, experience. Yeah, right I, I've heard the AMC Dolby is like the best experience of it's, movies. And those reclinable seat, reclining seats, uh, oh, just yeah. see, that's, fingers that's on that's the thing. Like I wish I that's the one thing I wish that these apps that allow you to buy tickets and I love Adam, but I also wish Adam included this was the information on like what the seats are like because right. like there are theater seats in New York that are hideous and that's all i want to say about it. i don't want to dwell on it but they're hideous and then alternately there's the theaters that have the beautiful leather reclining seats and it's like yes those theaters cost a little more but honestly i will pay the extra to be in a beautiful yeah. reclining seat versus the one that i'm like what is that stain what uh, why are yeah. my feet sticking to the floor but, uh, like christy lucky for you most of those theaters in new york are amc theaters so sign up for this thing <laughs> it's true Ooh. So yeah. yeah, and and you get you get to you know AMC uh, A list treats all it's seat agnostic you know so mm-hmm. the the most expensive throne like seat you know is the cost quote unquote cost the same as uh, the rattiest seat in That's their worst theater so mm-hmm. so that can be a good or bad thing depending on where you live but uh, I just want to say yeah the app is super easy to use. Uh, and it's easy to reserve seats. There's a couple of minor annoyances. I, I would say probably the biggest one is that the AMC week begins on Friday and ends on Thursday. 
So theoretically, you know, uh, most people I know watch movies on a Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. So if, mm-hmm. if the week started on a Sunday, you could watch three movies on a Saturday and three movies mm-hmm. on a Sunday if you really want to marathon it. But the way it's structured now, you need to use you need to spread out those three movies over the weekend, if that makes sense. Oh, um, I see what you're saying. Because you yeah. can watch three movies a week, which means that you could watch three on Saturday, but then you can't use it on Sunday. Correct. Correct. I so that's that's okay, that's sorry. the that biggest annoyance of uh, of a list, I would say. Um, but other than that, oh, and also like no kids. So if you have like a family, you want to buy it for your kids. Um, you can't. You'll have to use a list for yourself and like pay for your kids' tickets, and that that might be mm-hmm. a little annoying. A family plan for this thing will be killer. Yeah, it'll be I think insane. It will, it will destroy you know records in terms of how many people get this. But but I it's I think it's a great experience, and if you have AMC's near you and you see at least two movies per month. Um, or in the case of Devendra, and your tickets are super expensive, if you see like one movie a month, uh, <laughs> it might be worth it. Now, I will say that now that I'm a member of the A-list, which, by the way, is a phrase I've said 50 times around the house, yeah. um, and my wife is ready to kill me. You know when um, you go when you go to concessions with the A-list, Dave, you get to go through the fast line, the A-list line? Oh, I've <laughs> seen that line. The, 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 the puny citizens? Oh, that's actually true. Yeah. That's actually true. Um, that, that, that reminds me, um, the A-list membership, which costs $20 a month, also includes the Stubbs Premier membership. Yes. Yeah. Um, which means you can skip the line uh, at the theater and also, I think, get free popcorn and drink. Live upgrades. like no. kings. It's not free queens. popcorn. It's free refills on your popcorn. Ah. Oh, and free upgrades. Uh, no, I think it's, it's upgrades, Jeff. You can get it's larger size. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but uh, that's not free popcorn, dude. That's f- more, free more. No, popcorn. I said free oh upgrades. God. I didn't say free oh, popcorn. I, oh, I thought you said free. Yeah, popcorn. yeah, yeah. Sorry. Um, <laughs> but uh, also, uh, all this, you know, benefits that Premiere comes with, which is like five dollar uh, ticket, you know, Tuesday tickets and that kind of stuff. Like all that stuff um, is also included in the A list membership. So it's another another bonus there. Um, now here's here's a problem, guys. Here's a downside of being part of the Stubbs A list, which, as I've mentioned before, I am. Uh, and that is that once you are on the A list, you feel the pressure to use all those credits every week, and sometimes you end up making suboptimal decisions with how those how those I'm credits. I'm so used. excited where this is going. <laughs> so I thought to myself, hey, you know, after work one day, I'm going to go check out Tag, which is a movie that I would never in a million years uh, pay money to go see. But because I'm part of the A list, A lister would A lister. You know, I can just go see that movie for free. Um, I like yeah. that you've decided your time doesn't cost you yeah. anything. It <laughs> only costs you time. For My time life. is meaningless. Yeah. My time is meaningless. So <laughs> the idea, the fact that we are not sponsored by AMC is just a. <laughs> I know. I keep waiting for Jeff to roll in and like another thing about AMC. Yeah. Like, what are we doing? Uh, so uh, I, I tweeted this out after I saw the movie. Uh, I said, "Quote: I went to see Tag the other day using AMC Stubbs A list, and I thought it was really clever seeing this inconsequential trifle of a film for free." Got back to my car and I had a $53 ticket due to a misunderstood parking sign. Most expensive single oh. viewing of tag ever. Uh, fuck my life. You're not on the municipal A-list, if you know what <laughs> I mean. Boom. Boom. Nice and done. Now, I, I do want to say that after seeing this – guys, we have such amazing listeners, okay? After seeing this tweet, which got over 500 likes on Twitter, Andy S., who goes by the Twitter name X in my name – uh, tweeted back at me, and basically he donated fifty three dollars to cover the cost of me seeing Tag, uh, which was this ticket. So Andy S, you're awesome. All of our listeners who support us, you're awesome. Um, but yeah, uh, now now I feel like I have to talk about Tag, and I will talk about it just to say it was not very good. 
Um, <laughs> it's a movie. I was yes. hoping it would be kind of like a game night, you know what I mean? Like a mm, kind of surprise, yeah. uh, really clever take on the on the concept. Uh, but it, for those who don't know, Tag is about this. Uh, it's based on inspired by a true story in which a bunch of friends play Tag over the course of many years. They're, they're grown-ups. They're still playing Tag uh, every year. And um, yeah, I, I would say that it is mildly enjoyable. What's cool is like the tag scenes are done like Jeremy Renner is like the best tag player ever. And his tag scenes are done like Sherlock Holmes's action scenes, the Robert Downey Jr. ones, you know, where he's like mm-hmm. calculating like where everyone's going, what directions and how he can avoid getting tagged. Um, but the movie is like fairly consequential. I think it's trying to be this kind of tribute to... Uh, friendship and how the bonds of friendship can endure through the act of play over the years, uh, and it, it kind of does that. Kind of does that. It's it's mildly enjoyable. There's a really shoehorned in romantic subplot, uh, but something about the image of these dudes just kind of like disregarding all social decorum um, and potentially like ruining other people's days by like destroying property and so on and so forth. Um, it just uh, rubbed me the wrong way, you know? Uh, I don't know. So, Dave, what you're saying is tag, you're not it, right? Yeah. To sum up, just to sum up what your, your feelings are about that movie in, in one chilly sentence. chilly silence is all I need from this. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Moving on. A <laughs> couple of other movies. A couple of other movies I saw using the A-list. Uh, saw Sicario Davis Soldado. Uh, I just want to say, I think that guy got his $57 worth of <laughs> I just yep. want to say that. Yeah, no, he's definitely high five at himself. <laughs> Good for you, sir. Anyway, go ahead, Dave. Sorry, go ahead. Sicario Dave the Soldado. Sicario Dave the Soldado, one of the worst movie titles ever. Uh, the sequel to Sicario. Uh, it turns out when you take Sicario, which is widely regarded as a great film, and you remove an amazing director and Denis Villeneuve, uh, great actor Emily Blunt, and legendary cinematographer Roger Deakins. You have not that much left. You have a uh, – the, the action is really well done. It's very tense and it's very thrilling. Um, but politically, this yeah. movie is a mess. I mean is, – just... Is it cynical, Dave? Is it nihilistic? That's yeah. all I think some people watch. It, it's nihilistic but like not in the right way. I mean <laughs> I'll, I'll put it this way. Like uh, the, the basically uh, the opening credits or the opening text posits that like the most valuable – um, thing that Mexican cartels are trafficking is not drugs. It's people across the border. And uh, some of these people are Islamic extremist terrorists. So it's like finding two ways for the American people to be scared of brown people. Oh, and, wow. uh, and that is like a double, that is like a Big Mac of, uh, you know, jingoistic fear. Yeah, yeah. Z- xenophobia. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so that, uh, that would be uh, potentially okay if the movie had something interesting to say about that, you know, um, uh, about American xenophobia and American foreign policy. But it is. But it turns out we are all the so. Soldados. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the soldado was us all the time. Yeah, that's right. I mean, the movie has nothing interesting to say, and the final third goes off the rails in in, in really crazy and insane ways that makes it bear absolutely no resemblance to the first film. So, uh, I would say see Sicario Day of the Soldado for the action, um, but do not go in expecting like smart commentary on American politics. And finally, 
had a chance to see the first Purge, which uh, <laughs> true story. I go to see the first Purge, and there's not that many people in the theater. A mother walks into the theater before, shortly uh-huh. before it begins with three toddlers, all of them <laughs> under five years old, and just like yeah. plops Ooh. them down. Like, they, like she's sitting in the handicap section where there's like space for wheelchairs and stuff, but instead of a wheelchair, there's a stroller there with two kids that are like tiny. The, the kids can't be more than like three years old. Mm-hmm. And um, then proceeds to watch the first Purge in which – uh, many, many people are brutally slaughtered in graphic fashion. But did the kids um, enjoy it? Um, <laughs> m- most of them, like some of them were playing around on tablets the entire time. Wow. Uh, so yeah. We deserve to be purged. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, the first purge, it's a prequel. It shows you what the first purge was like. Uh, I'm just going to say, I don't know why I continue watching these movies. I- I've seen every single purge movie. Uh, the A-list, baby! Yeah, it's it, I mean, it's kind of like the, the Saw movies. I have this kind of sick fascination with them. Uh, <laughs> and I'm going to watch them no matter what. But, um, You've seen every Saw movie, Dave, and I still don't understand I've seen why. every Saw movie. I've seen every Purge movie. Yeah. Uh, wow. they're not, you know, they're not good. They're not good yeah. movies. Uh, I'm but, sitting over here saying, what are you... But I'm yeah. like, totally okay tapping out of a franchise that I'm just like, no, this is not for me. Yeah. I didn't yeah. see this one just because I didn't. I, I like the movies fine, but yeah, I I don't know. I haven't. Yeah, I think it's just that it doesn't feel escapist fun for me anymore. No, no. It's about um, the U.S. government trying to inflict horrors upon people of color, basically. And uh, uh, But the people of color striking back in very brutal and effective fashion. Uh, and I, I just want to give a shout out to Elon Noel, who is uh, one of the main actors in this film. I think this guy's going places. He acquits himself very well. I think he could be an action star going forward. So I just want to give a shout out to him. Okay. So that is, that is my week with AMC Stubbs A-List. Three pretty mediocre films. And yeah. uh, so far, I don't know if I'm getting value This started out of this. off as a great pitch for AMC Stubbs A-List. <laughs> yeah. And then quickly became like, so... Yeah. A-List. <laughs> You'll see so much more crap. <laughs> right. You know, Dave, you don't have to use all your all your A-List tickets. You could just let it go, man. Yeah. I, just let it go. Now, that being said, I did want to use my A-List tickets on a screening of Leave No Trace... Uh, which uh, uh-huh. I didn't have a chance to do because the theater was a little too far away from me. But Christy Puchko, I think this is a movie that you've seen this week, right? It is. Um, so Leave No Trace is from Deborah Granick, who did Winter's Tale, which everybody kind of knows. Or Winter's, not Winter's Bone, Tale, I believe. Yeah. Yes, sorry. I just really love Winter's Tale. That's not a joke. I also very good, yes. Yeah, also great. They're very different films. But uh, Winter's Bone, the one that Jennifer Lawrence was like the breakout star of, uh, and then actually what's crazy is that movie was like hugely praised. It made John Hawks a big name again. And like, well, not again, but like period, like people were like, Oh, John Hawks, John Hawks. And like brought him into the spotlight and Deborah Granick could not get another movie made after that. Super weird. Um, so she made like a documentary that was actually pretty good, but finally someone got her backing and she made leave no trace, which is based on a novel, but, uh, it stars Ben Foster and uh, a New Zealand actress named Thomasin McKenzie. And it's basically, it starts off where it looks like you're watching a father and daughter camping in the woods, but you quickly realize through kind of their comfort there and the way they're situated that they're not camping, that this is where they live and how they live. And it's a really beautiful story about a father-daughter relationship where um, I don't want to get too much into what his deal is, but essentially like he chooses to live off the grid and she's kind of, brought along with that because she's his daughter and Mm -hmm. when 
that way of life is disrupted how their relationship transforms. And it is, it is beautiful filmmaking. It's, it's so intimate that you feel like you're watching, you know, real life unfold. And this girl is so young, but she's so just there in front of the camera. She's so, I hate the word authentic when you talk about acting, because I feel like that word feels wrong, but she's so natural in front of it. And Mm -hmm. she seems in times like a 14 year old girl and in times like a 30 year old woman, like she just has this composure that your heart breaks for her and your heart breaks for him. Like Ben Foster is great. Like he's, he's been great for a very long time, but this is really like her movie and her performance. And it's a very quiet and kind of slow movie. So uh, you know, you kind of have to be in the mental space for that, but it's it's astonishing. I do think it offers some of the best performances this year, and it's just a very striking movie that relies deeply on visuals and deeply on the performances of actors. There's not a lot because these people like know each other so well. It's not a lot of talking. There's no big Oscar like baiting kind of scenes that you would see play. You know, like no one's like, let me tell you why I'm upset and I live in the woods. Like there's nothing like that. It really trusts the audience. Deborah Granick really trusts the audience to exist in this life with them and understand who they are without feeling the need to like give us intense expositional dialogue about where they're at. And it was just very striking. Like, like I had heard praise about it, I think, coming out of as early as Sundance. And I was excited to see it because I loved Winter's Bone. And um, it's just beautiful. Like, it's just, it makes me really frustrated that it took her so long to be able to make another movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, but she's talked about how hard it is to get funding. And um, I'm hoping that it won't be so difficult now because this movie is getting wild praise and it totally deserves it. The, the yeah. moral of the story is use your A-list slots on Leave No Trace, everyone. Um, yeah. That is- <laughs> That is really what you got to do uh, in this case, so that Deborah Granick can make uh, her next film even more, uh, or even more quickly. So that's Leave yeah. No Trace. It's out in theaters right now. Davinia, you saw it too, right? I saw it. It's a uh, fantastic. Um, I just want to say it is a very like natural spiritual successor to Winter's Bone too. I think like it is about people living on the edges of society in a way, and it gives you a glimpse of like you know portions of the population that you may not normally get to see, especially featured in movies. Um, the performances are fantastic, but uh, for me, like what really struck me about this movie is that, you know, um, it is filled with these quiet moments that seem like meaningful and interesting, you know, when you watch them and then the next day you you remember that thing and like, man, that is absolutely heartbreaking. Like this one moment of like, uh, there's a point where you see some, you know, teen girls talking about, uh, making collages to remember to dream. Yeah, because, vision boards. Yeah, vision boards. Because like, it, it's so easy in their lives not to be able to do that, not to see a future for themselves. And that's it. You never see those people again. And yet that idea lingers on, and I think carries out throughout the movie. Um, and this movie is just full of things like that. So fantastic. And I think uh, Thompson McKenzie definitely... I think evokes the same feelings I had watching Jennifer Lawrence in Winter's Mm -hmm. Bone. Like there is this both their strength and vulnerability there in this character and also just like a real, you know, a real person. And it's, yeah, just fantastic. All right, Christy, uh, you've also been watching Glow Season 2, right, on Netflix? I have. And I wanted uh, just a quick shout out to people who follow me on Twitter. I know I put up a <laughs> poll because I uh, was like, hey, I haven't been on in a couple of weeks. What should I talk about what we were watching? And yes, sorry to bother you, 100% won the poll. Um, we're going to talk about it eventually. So mm-hmm. I'm going to 
hold off on talking about it today. Thank you all for voting. Uh, if you can't wait to hear my opinion on it, I'm quoted in the trailer, so you can look up my review. <laughs> I saw the trailer for Sorry to Bother You, and I was really excited that I have podcasted with two people who have been quoted in the trailer for that film. Uh, Christy Puchko and I think Ben Pearson was also quoted in uh, in the trailer as well. So, uh, yeah, sorry to bother you. D- definitely a movie we will be reviewing. I actually tried to see it this last week, again, using A-List. But it was not playing at my local AMC. The purge, the purge was just too compelling. It was not playing yet, Devendra. Okay, all right, Christy. So I just wanted to give that a shout out before people come at me and are like, "That didn't even win the poll." Uh, but yeah, I also marathoned Glow season two because uh, I really liked Glow season one. I was very excited when it hit Netflix, and um, it's so good. I was worried after Glow season one that I was like, "That was amazing," but mm-hmm. how do you keep? telling the story and growing these characters and you know like where do you go from here and they have found such interesting places to go it's just i i'm fascinated by every episode and every episode gives these characters like a richer idea like us a richer idea who they are and um i I am a little disappointed that i feel like the characters of color still get kind of a raw deal this season where like everybody's talking about season episode Mm -hmm. four one of the characters gets a little more attention which is great but it also feels like they st- this, they're still kind of being like kicked to the curb a little bit yeah. with like occasionally they get a plot line. This um, is the rare Netflix show that needs more episodes. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's yeah, just yeah. funny. Yeah. Um, but I think it's it's tell it has really good storytelling. There's some really fascinating things that happen this season, and it's still so funny in this like weirdly like acerbic but tender way where you're watching these people break and rebuild themselves in, in ways both metaphorical and sometimes literal. And I think it's just outstanding. And like Betty Gilpin is so good that it's insane to me that we haven't been talking about her for years. Like it just feels Mm -hmm. like she feels like such a discovery, which feels crazy. And Alison Brie, it's like, I'm so used to seeing Alison Brie being this like just, absolute bombshell in movies and often in movies that don't know what to do with her so she's just like will Beth farrell's wife for a minute or whatever <laughs> and in this it's like that was you know, a great she... uh, audio representation of what will farrell's wife is in movies just wanted to <laughs> thank you yeah. thank you i've been working on that impression. will farrell's wife in the movie yeah anyway <laughs> <It's good. laughs> but um yeah she gets she gets to really do some interesting things in this where she plays a character who like you like ruth despite the fact that ruth is kind of terrible and i like the fact that it doesn't feel bad about making you like giving you characters that are like awful but also compelling but also passionate and compassionate and i just had such a good time watching the show and um i think episode nine is one of the best episodes that netflix has produced of any of their shows mm-hmm. i will just say that and leave it at that because i'm really i i'm trying really hard not to give spoilers but uh yeah it's really really fun um i'm i recommend if you like the first season check it out I think if you've never watched Glow, 100% still check it out. I don't care about wrestling. Sorry, Jeff. Um, but this, to me, is like Friday Night Lights, where I don't care about football, but like, oh, man, I could watch them play forever. Because <laughs> like, it's about the drama behind right. like the sport, right? Which is totally fine. Like I, do, I, I certainly wouldn't care as much about like a behind-the-scenes of the WWF before it became the WWE and everything, whereas this like is so compelling. Uh, the one thing I'd say, like... Right. I I don't know. Uh, I love everything about the show. I do feel like Mark Maron's character, they do some odd things with him this season. Like he starts off almost like completely reverting from whatever yeah. progress he made in season one. And it's like, we got to build up that character to not be a huge asshole all the time. So th- there is some of that. Um, and yeah, yeah it does I feel wish... like they regress a little bit for reasons yeah. that are a little squiffy. 
Yeah, but beyond that, like it is fantastic. Everyone should be watching this. Cool. Well, that's Glow Season 2, uh, and it's available right now on Netflix. Speaking of Netflix, Chef Kanata, you also saw something on Netflix this week, right? I did. Uh, I watched the, uh, the stand-up special Nanette, which is getting a lot of buzz recently. And uh, it is a stand-up special by Hannah Gadsby, who is an Australian stand-up who I was not familiar with, actually, before seeing this, uh, but evidently has had a long and illustrious career down under. Yeah. Um, and, uh, wow. This, this is, yeah. my, this is my night of first. a thousand impressions. Jeff and yeah. I got, we're doing this. We're I doing think it. I we're hear all this. of Australia, like sending complaints right now. <laughs> my, actually, my only Australian impression is, uh, saying the word no, because Australians say the word no, like it has 15 syllables, which is <laughs> so ahead. great. It's a night. Oh my this is a no. really, this is a really great you introduction. You can send your letters to Jeff Kanata <laughs> at Jeff Kanata two ends one t on Twitter. Um, pretty, uh, this is a really accurate, great way to introduce the lighthearted romp Nanette <laughs> on Netflix. I was stuff. I was blown away by Nanette. I uh, I like I said I jumped in not knowing anything about it. Uh, started up fan of stand up comedy and I I consider myself kind of a student of, of stand-up comedy. And uh, this is uh, a brilliant piece that sort of transcends the medium and actually kind of deconstructs the concept of sta- stand-up comedy and it uses it as a way uh, of being uh, a piece that is more about activism than anything else and more about um, uh, speaking truth to power. And it does so in a very powerful way. I mean, I know comedy can speak truth to power at its best, um, in, in a very potent way. But I think in this special, Hannah Gadsby figures out ways to kind of, um, poke holes in how comedy does that and analyze herself and her own career in ways that I found to be really beautiful and, uh, inspiring to me. Um, I was moved by the end of it. It is, I think an extraordinary, work of art and it, it's it's more a more a performance art piece i think than even than a stand-up comedy special it's it's um it's quite something and i think everybody should watch it uh, i tweeted this and i will repeat it here I, I i find it really sad to note that i think the people who would most benefit from watching this will never see it mm-hmm. uh but I, I i urge everyone out there to not let that be you like i think you should take take the time it's an hour special uh, I uh, I think you'll get something out of it, and I think you will probably be moved as I was by Nanette on Netflix. Devendra, you also saw this, right? I saw it too, and yeah, uh, yeah it is. It's tremendous. Every everything you're saying is true, Jeff. It feels more like a confessional than a traditional, you know, stand-up routine. Uh, the story behind this is that this uh, this whole you know act was her kind of farewell to comedy, and it ended up being very successful like when she was doing it live and it helped her actually you know stick around and i'm glad because it shows like you could tell like she is really wearing her heart on her sleeve in this Mm -hmm. in this thing like it it goes places you don't expect i don't want to reveal too much but uh you know it's not all laughs and i think it's really smart about how it does that and it's really it's so real and raw and true um so yeah, I, I wouldn't call it a standard, you know, a traditional comedy special, but it is still worth watching for sure. Yeah, it's interesting because I thought of it watching it like 
it does I like it's saying calling it a deconstructed comedy set is really interesting. I was thinking of it more like a storytelling set mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. especially there's one segment where she talks about kind of the difference between jokes and stories and I thought that was a really interesting discussion and it was a lot of things where I kept kind of nodding which reminded me of this like Chris Rock joke where he said that if the audience is like nodding and cheering it's not actually comedy and mm-hmm, I mm-hmm. I don't know that I agree with that but it's something that like was sticking in my head watching it. But Nanette was fascinating because, like, I was laughing and then I was captivated and then I cried at one point and I felt very moved and it left me a lot to chew on. And in that respect, it actually reminded me, and I don't know if you guys have seen this, but HBO did a special with Chris Gethard called Career Suicide, I think, last year. Do you know that one? Uh, I haven't heard of it, but big Chris Gethard fan here. It's it's really like it's also a confessional story that like takes us through a lot of things and and, like how comedy helps and heals and and how it also deals with issues of um, kind of inspiration and about whether or not an artist needs to suffer to create art. And um, it reminded me a lot of those things. And when watching his, um, I was really struck because I had never quite seen anybody do comedy that way before and they're not similar in their like takes necessarily but I think they're doing similar things where they are going to a very deep place of things that I think a lot of people are afraid to talk about or even even look directly at I'm the only one that remembers the Beatles Hello, I'm Guy Garvey. Richard Curtis and Danny Boyle have joined forces for yesterday. We got them together to talk filmmaking. I always saw Trainspotting just as the Northern Four Weddings. Music. These songs were part of us. And a world without the Beatles. A world without the Beatles would be infinitely worse. The Yesterday Podcast, available from wherever you get your podcasts. Yesterday. When did you write that? I didn't write it. Paul McCartney wrote it. The Beatles. Who? And to bring them to the light and say, okay, so let us, like, let us shine a light on this. Let us look into the darkness. Let us laugh. And also let us move past that and see what we can learn from this. And it's really bold. Like, mm-hmm. you know, it's kind of jarring because it's like I finished watching it and then Netflix was like, and now we recommend it. I was like, no, 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 no. Like, I need, I need time. I can't. <laughs> Let's just, sit don't. with this. Yeah. Right. Like, I don't oh. just throw me into like, and now, you know, yeah. here's a man with puppets. Like, I can't. I, I don't know. I don't remember what it was can trying I, to offer me. I shut off my TV because I just needed to kind of sit for a little bit. Can I point out something? This is very tangential, but it, it reminded me. I'm, I've also been watching the the new season of uh, Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee. And there's a, a, a one of the early episodes of the new season of, of that show. Someone mentions the fact that uh, Netflix has recently – shortened the the time it takes to start the next thing the next episode of a thing to like Mm -hmm. five seconds and it is it's extraordinary what what effect that has had on me i will watch way more things and it's (laughs) it's kind of frightening they know yeah yeah Yeah. (laughs) so nanette it's on netflix it's very provocative it's very bold it's worth checking out um and you should do so all right uh devendra you have a few things to mention right yeah, a couple of things, and I'll just move along real quickly. Uh, I saw the pilot episode for Pose, the next Ryan Murphy show. It's another Ryan <laughs> Murphy show, guys, like so many. That's um, the 18th this year? Uh, it's it's many. It like is certainly many. Yeah, and among that. the dozens of his entire career, yeah. Um, but this is a show uh, set in the 1980s in New York, and it covers uh, ball culture, which is um, you know kind of a unique thing in the LGBT community. Uh, where people just kind of, you know, will dress up and strut or dance or just do something to really show off uh, in a group setting. And it's entirely about that. This is a show 
that I think it goes some really interesting places. Um, it starts off, it, it kind of really shows you how this whole community works because it's a, it's a weird thing. If you've never heard of it, it's uh it's made up of these houses as groups of people who kind of band together and they're sort of like teams. And every week they go and strut as a team Um and I don't know, the show, I, I think, is just really fantastic in the way uh, it approaches all this material. The soundtrack is amazing. I love all of the characters. And it covers a lot of territory that uh, you, you think would seem like old hat right now, right? One of the earliest things that happens is um, a young boy who's a dancer and who's gay uh, ends up coming out to his family. And they banish him from the house. And he ends up on the streets in New York. And I don't want it to sound too flippant about it, but it does seem like a story that we hear sometimes quite a bit. Mm-hmm. And this show just treats that in such a new and unique way. Like it, it really takes a lot of these tropes that we've seen. Um, I, I think just reinvigorates them. Uh, and there's a lot going on here too. Cause it's also about, in addition to ball culture, it's also like the introduction of, uh, I don't know, uh, the super rich society in New York, like Donald Trump, is a character off screen in the show. Uh, James Vanderbeek plays a character who's kind of an upper crusty management type. um, Who's like, you know, he's one of those people who's always chasing money and uh, doing Coke in the middle of meetings uh, and really representing like Donald Trump culture. And to see that idea with like the LGBT community kind of like juxtaposed, juxtaposed right next to each other is really daring and interesting. Um, there are several dance sequences in this uh, show that are fantastic. There's one set to uh, Whitney Houston song. Name is escaping me right now. Um, so emotional? No, it, it was one about dance dancing. Want to dance with somebody? Of course. It is want to uh... dance with somebody. And it's done, it's shot in such a like dynamic way. Just like a lot of times when you see dancing sequences in movies and TV, it's just, it's too close the the shots aren't correct like yeah. you're not seeing what's actually happening it's so dynamic um the show is incredibly uplifting in a way too because it is it is about the start of a new house that's going to be um posing uh during the weekly show and i i don't know i just found it really compelling to see like all these people come together kind of form a makeshift family to support each other in a really difficult time uh it is perfect summer viewing like if you want like a summer show this is gonna make you like stand up and clap and cheer. This feels like it, and uh, shocking that it's from yet another Ryan Murphy show too, because it feels like this guy is just pumping out TV shows. Some of them work, some of them don't. Uh, this one definitely works. Cool. That's Pose, and it's on FX right now. Um, mm-hmm. Anything else you've been watching, Devendra? A couple of things. I did see the first episode of Sharp Objects as well, and this is the new HBO series uh, directed by Jean-Marc Vallée. Um, and based on the novel by Gillian Flynn, it's also adapted uh, for TV by Marty Noxon, who uh, she used to work on Buffy um, and a whole bunch of other TV Un- shows. Unreal so, like, was her most recent. Yeah, thing Unreal, yeah. Unreal too. Yeah, like she has a huge pedigree, and just like this combination of talent, this show, guys, is so good. Like mm-hmm. it is such a like deep drink of like Southern Gothic. Like it is slow. It is hot. Everyone is sweating all the time. Uh, Amy Adams plays a woman who goes back to her small hometown uh, to investigate a murder 
And uh, there's also a lot of like bad things that happen to her in that town, too. And, you know, it's kind of her dealing with her own childhood trauma there while investigating this really like grisly thing happening. Um, She's actually investigating a kidnapping of a girl. But uh, in that same town, a girl was found murdered recently. So the worry is that it's a serial killer. Um, It is there's so much going on. And I kind of love the way Jean-Marc Vallée does his uh, his style. Right. The thing we saw in um, was it Little Little Big Lies, Lies? Big Little Lies. Yeah. Um, There the way he combines visuals and music, I think, is really interesting. Like you just remember the just the opening song, A Big Little Lies. Right. And that title sequence like that is really evocative. And he does that here, too. Uh, There's a lot of Led Zeppelin. There's a lot of like driving alone in the road at night. And it just like portrays such a mood. Amy Adams is fantastic. Patricia Clarkson plays her very distant mother. Chris Messina is in this, uh, who I love. And Chris Messina as sort of like this uh, Southern detective as well, um, who kind of sparks with Amy Adams, of course. This is like a reunion of, uh, that was a rom-com, wasn't it? With those two. It feels reminiscent of something. Um, But it's just nice to see all these folks together. And Amy Adams is like giving us one of her like arrival level of performances just like fantastic here so yeah watch it watch it all of you this is another it's like two very different summer shows right you want if you want to feel energized and pumped up watch uh, pose uh if you want to just like sit with a glass of whiskey and really like drink in uh kind of like the darker side of summer in the you know southern gothic style uh this is a really good thing to check out all right that's sharp (sighs) objects and it's on hbo yeah. That's such a good sale now. I want to watch it immediately, even yeah. though before the record, I told Devendra, I'm going to wait until the end. And no, then I can just no, Christy, it all. you want to. And also, this is a show I feel like every even if you've read the novel, uh, I do feel from what I've heard, um, it actually improves on the book in many ways. And it's just I love following along with these shows with people. Right. Like True Detective season one. So much of the joy and uh, like the way uh, a lot of folks watch Westworld World now. Right, Dave? Part of the joy is following along. And seeing like you know what's happening every episode, mm. so yeah, there's that. Yeah, I was late to Killing Eve. I have mixed feelings on this because sometimes it's awesome, and sometimes I want to. I just want everyone to shut up so I can like the thing I'm watching. Yeah, 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 yeah. Fair enough. And uh, uh, yeah, go ahead, Dominguez. Also, so that's that's fantastic. Just just go watch that. And uh, also, Cell Blockers, which you guys recently talked about, and I love that movie. That movie is yeah. fantastic. That movie worked better for me than Game Night, honestly, because I think. The the emotional core of Blockers uh, definitely hits to where I am right now. That's entirely mm. a movie about, uh, you know, parent and daughter relationships. And it is so sweet and so effective. Like, yeah, it's it's it does a lot of new things that I'm really surprised by. So love Blockers. Before we move on to uh, our review of Ant-Man and the Wasp today, we also want to thank all the people that donated to the Slash Homecast. Again, a big shout out to Andy S., who hooked me up with some uh, parking ticket money, and also to Evan Lambert and Jasmine uh, Levy, both of whom became subscribers at the rate of $2 per month. Uh, big thanks to everyone who donates to the Slash Homecast. All the money you donate does go to help us defray the cost of seeing movies and uh, putting on the show. If you want to donate- I'd just like to say that, that uh, Devendra and Christy and I also get parking tickets. Uh, <laughs> this is true. Yeah, yeah, no, that's a good thing to to tell people about. Um, <laughs> but uh, to donate to us, you can go to paypal.me slash filmcast. That's paypal.me slash the word filmcast. You can also go to slashfilm.com, 
click on the slash filmcast tab and use the PayPal links on the side of the page. You guys are awesome. Thanks for your donations. Let's get to our review of Ant-Man and the Wasp. I just have one question. When Cap needed help, if I'd asked you, would you have come? I guess we'll never know. But if you had, you'd have never been caught. I do some dumb things, and the people I love the most, they pay the price. Thanks to you, we had to run. We're still running. Let's go. That was from the trailer for Ant-Man and the Wasp. I'm going to read the plot summary from IMDb. As Scott Lang balances being both a superhero and a father, Hope Van Dyne and Dr. Hank Pym present an urgent new mission that finds the Ant-Man fighting alongside the Wasp to uncover secrets from their past. Uh, So, Christy Puchko, I remember when we did our uh, Summer Movie Wager Part 1, you said uh, that... Avengers Infinity War was going to make Ant-Man and the Wasp look like Kitty Time Frolics uh, in comparison. Because of how high stakes Avengers was going to be compared to Ant-Man and the Wasp, which is like seemingly small stakes by comparison, literally. Um, Mm. So questions for you. Uh, Number one, (laughs) did your prediction turn out to be correct? And number two, is that a bad thing if it is correct? I'm going to say it is correct. Because literally, there's action sequences that are basically them turning San Francisco into a playground. But <laughs> I think that's actually awesome. Um, I When I made that statement, I don't think we had seen Infinity. Maybe I had. I don't know. I didn't. I, I did not know how much I would need Ant-Man and the Wasp in my life. Yeah. It's so much fun. <laughs> like, I did not. I like the first movie fine, but like, I didn't you know, ever feel the need to really watch it again. I did before I saw this one just because I was writing some stuff and I wanted to be like, make sure I understood stuff again. And like the stuff where like he's little, I always liked, but then there was a lot of things in the first movie I didn't deal worked as well, which we can get more into his spoilers, but I, I had no problems enjoying the hell out of the second one. It's just so fun and it's so imaginative and they take the things that didn't work in the first one and figure out ways to make them work in the second. I just had an absolute blast. And they put Michelle Pfeiffer in this one, which, like, I did not care about this movie until I saw Michelle Pfeiffer was in it. And then I was like, oh, come on. Like, that felt like Marvel was reaching out and being like, go ahead, Puchko, try. Try something. You going to not watch this movie? Because for those that don't know, one, I am obsessed with Michelle Pfeiffer. Two, her performance of Catwoman in Batman Returns is the greatest performance in a superhero movie. Come at me. I don't like you're wrong. (laughs) Agree. Hard agree. Yes. Um, so yeah, my only complaint about this movie really is that there's not enough Michelle Pfeiffer. But as I said on Twitter, that is true in most movies. <laughs> Jeffrey Kanata, I have heard tell that you are a zombie of the Marvel type. <laughs> um, I've heard that you might be in to these Marvel films. I, I, Indeed, I, I've like, From way vague, back vague whispers uh, <laughs> through the ether have heard yeah. this. Yeah, yeah. In, in what? bizarre crazy future am am i talking about the second ant-man movie (laughs) okay i I mean jeff i'm gonna blow your mind even more okay which is uh we are living in a universe Uh, like imagine telling this to yourself you know 10 years ago hey 10 years from now there's gonna be a sequel to an ant-man movie 
and a Star Wars film based on Han Solo's life. Yeah. And one of them is going to do better than the other, and also have much yeah. more critical acclaim yeah. than the other. <laughs> one of them I'm going to. One of them I'm going to love. <laughs> the other one I'm going to find uh, very disappointing. Um, yes. I mean, so, we, I mean, I don't think it's going to outgrow Solo, um, but it's going to come really close, and that is yeah. insane. Yeah, uh, massive ramifications for the wager. By Correct. the way, we can't even get into that. It's yep. it's a, a topsy turvy cats and dogs living yep. together. Totally. Um, <laughs> the Yes, I echo everything that Christy said. It is delightful. It is uh, this sort of uh, wonderful counterpoint to the to the you know bleak, dark uh, Avengers: Infinity War. The very serious, self serious movie that that is. This is just having so much fun, but not at the expense of. Uh, you know, uh, your brain cells, you know, it doesn't insult your intelligence at any point. It's very funny. It's very charming. I mean, Paul Rudd is so charming. I think the big coup in this movie is how wonderful and watchable and exciting and thrilling Evangeline Lilly is. Mm -hmm. She is the, she's the star. I mean, it's Ant-Man and the Wasp, but this is like a Wasp action movie with this funny Ant-Man sidekick, you know, it is really from the word go. It's about how badass the wasp is and she's fantastic in it. Uh, I definitely agree. There should be more Michelle Pfeiffer, but I also agree that man, the making people young technology, we we basically perfected that. It's oh, yeah. 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 Um, I, I love how inventive and clever the, uh, all the miniaturization stuff is in this universe. It's like somebody sat around and just like, brainstormed all the most wonderful ways you could use shrinking and growing technology. And I love also that we had an entire movie where they, they limited themselves to just doing tiny stuff. And then spoilers for captain America civil war, but then in civil war, we got that great moment where, Oh, we can do big. And now <laughs> in this movie, we get to do tiny and big and it is so fun and so inventive. And, um, Michael Pena is delightful. I mean, it's, it is as I think sure thing entertainment, like mass market entertainment that feels good when you, when you walk in, feels good when you walk out, uh, as you can get, I, I can recommend it to anybody. It is, uh, mm -hmm. dang fun. Uh, your thoughts, Devin, your heart or? Yeah, I think fun is the key word here. I was not expecting much from this movie. Uh, I enjoyed the first one. Um, but I don't really have any particular love for this character. But yeah, the combination of Paul Rudd and Evangeline Lilly, like actually being an active participant, uh, you know, now in the movie and also kicking ass. Like, I think they've stepped up uh, the set pieces. The action is fantastic. And also nobody we haven't mentioned Hannah John Kamen yet, who I love mm -hmm. in this movie. Like she plays the villain ghost who I think has a very sympathetic background um you know similar to uh killmonger and black panther uh certainly not as complex as that character but there's a lot going on there and um you know they you know they they hinted at this in the trailers but there there is some sort of like phasing technology going on with her so between that you have the you have the you know you have the miniaturization you have the growth stuff and then you have this phasing phasing uh character who reminds me of like the twins from the matrix reloaded except done well <laughs> Like, I think the set pieces where they have her in it um, kicking butt are really well done. So I enjoyed the energy of this character and also uh, the actress as well. I think Hannah John came in really gives us something more 
um, the, you know, because the character isn't super well written. There's not much there, uh, but I think she really adds a lot to this character. And also very nice to have uh, Lawrence Fishburne uh, in the Marvel Universe now. So, yeah, really enjoyed it overall. Uh, this movie was fun. It was, you know, an enjoyable time at the theater. Uh, one of the better Marvel uh, sequels, I would say. You know, I would put this well above Thor The Dark World. Not as good as uh, Captain America Winter Soldier. Uh, better than Iron Man 2. You know what I mean? Like, it's kind of mm-hmm. one of the better sequels. I think uh, the, the filmmaker, uh, Peyton Reed, has a lot of confidence. You know, like, like, when Ant-Man first came out, I think it's easy to forget how insane it was that that like all, all the stuff that went into that movie coming out first of all right. there's obviously Edgar right. Wright had been working on it for many many years uh but in addition the idea of a character named Ant-Man uh was deemed by many to be ludicrous at the time uh and now of course we know Marvel can basically sell anything so Ant-Man and the Wasp is going to be uh very enjoyable regardless like you kind of know what you're getting it's a known quantity um it's a lot of fun i i, yeah. I didn't think i, th- I th- thought it was solid mid-tier marvel i didn't think it was particularly great i think it's trying to do a lot of things surprisingly for an ant-man movie like there's a lot of uh uh characters a lot of plot developments introduced in this one that uh make it a little bit too busy and the movie kind of had this feeling of video gamey fetch quests to to me like oh we have to get the thing but then oh my gosh like something is impeding us from getting the thing so Mm -hmm. now we got to solve this problem and then we got to get the thing and then use the thing to make the other thing you know i know i'm describing basically every marvel film but for this one it felt (laughs) particularly acute um, right and the me. first movie was very much a heist movie too so i yeah, did feel like exactly. that was a part of it yeah of exactly the first movie felt like it moved a little bit more uh right. in a way that that kind of felt like more of a satisfying payoff um but the first movie also had disadvantages which is say which is to say like a pretty crappy villain i agree with you that uh hannah john Kamen's character here um she plays what is the character that she plays Ghost. in this movie Ghost, Ghost right. slash Ava. Yeah, yeah that's that's a, like a really a lot more both in conception and execution just really well done mm-hmm. uh and just like the effect is, is super cool and uh really like her uh so yeah, I, I I thought it was fun. There's some more to talk about in spoilers because yeah. we got to talk about how this ties into the broader Marvel universe. Well, my uh, my biggest complaint actually is 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 honestly is some of the pseudoscience is just a little fast and loose. I mean, it's yeah. a comic book movie, obviously, but I think this one is a little bit more cartoonish with just how they explain some of the. Yeah. concepts uh we get we get to like magical power type stuff yeah, yeah, eventually yeah. I, I will say though like we haven't even mentioned walton goggins in this movie yet i know and, uh, he's great <laughs> i don't know about that i, I don't that. know goggins. about that i love goggins yeah i love about i love goggins so much but uh, i actually think the movie would have been stronger if we cut everything around him and whatever the hell his henchmen were doing uh out completely yeah I, I agree. I just think the movie's trying to do too much. You know, it has mm-hmm. it introduces all these characters, and um, it's just I, I agree with you, Devendra. I think there, there's a little too much there with Goggins, and that yeah. not a particularly memorable character in my opinion. They're even so though, useless. They're even the though Goggins useless, is great, yeah. yeah, gangsters like so so useless. I don't know. All right, uh, a couple other things I want to mention actually before we get to spoilers. One is. You know, Jeff Kanata always likes to go in unsullied into movies, and um, I gotta admit, I, I usually like to as well. But I let myself lapse for this one. I saw, I thought to myself, you know what? It doesn't matter if I see the the trailer for Ant Man and the Wasp. Big mistake because virtually every single major action beat of the film is given away in the trailer. So, kind of disappointing. If you haven't seen the trailer, I would avoid it 
uh, before you go see Ant Man and the Wasp. I got Lost. lots of people on Twitter agreeing with you, uh, Dave. They, I got lots of people like, why didn't I listen yeah, to you? Yeah, I know. It's particularly yeah. acute in this one. Um, Randall Park is awesome as usual. He's in, great. In this, oh in this yeah. Movie. yeah. Uh-huh. Um, uh-huh. He should be in all the Marvel films and really like Agreed. him. Agreed. And um, yeah, I'm I'm one degree of separation away from this movie, guys. <laughs> I've worked, I've worked so? with I've worked with Randall Park in, in ah. what Jeff? Uh, it is a web series, but it was a good web series. What, what, <laughs> why don't you shout it? Tell, I'm basically trying to tell you to tell people how to find it, Jeff. I don't know how to find it. At this point. <laughs> I mean, tell people how to Google it for Pete's sake. Uh, I'd have to. I'd have to. You look. don't even know the name. You don't even know <laughs> don't the name remember. of the web series. You're don't, don't remember the name. <laughs> It's so embarrassing. That's why, I was like, why is Jeff not promoting this right now? Anyway, okay. Uh, uh, how to get ahead in Hollywood, the Jeff Kanata story. Yeah. And, fin- I, finally, and people wonder why I'm not successful. <laughs> I wanted to uh, also, you know, Jeff's talked about the, the de-aging technology. And uh, mm-hmm. you do see some of these characters in younger form than you do um, in, in the movie. Like you see them in both young and old forms. Uh, Jeff, I remember when we reviewed Guardians of the Galaxy 2, you were like, this is the movie that proves that, you know, de-aging has been mastered. And yeah. I didn't quite – I did not agree with you at the time. I thought they did a good job. It was the but, Russell Crowe uh, – uh, Russell, uh, Kurt Russell, I think open. is what you mean. Oh, excuse Kurt me, Russell Crowe. Yeah. <laughs> it took me yeah. a second. I was like, yeah. who's See, Crow I don't – you know, I, I, I don't remember anything. I have two <laughs> children under two years old, guys. My brain doesn't yeah. work. Yeah. Every day is a million hours anymore. I totally get it. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, yes, uh, Kurt Russell – uh, the de-aging at the beginning of that movie. I just thought that was fantastic. But now, now, I mean, I mean this, this, is this is like beyond. Here's this is beyond. Though, like, I will I, say this. I feel like Michelle Pfeiffer, they just put like a slightly bright light on her because oh, yeah. she is still flawed. <laughs> like, they were no. like, we need to make her look older. We'll give her like a granny wig, but she is still amazing looking. But I, I do agree with you think, on the rest. Do you guys think that it's easier or harder for them to do it with actors that we know of at that age. I'm like, sure it's we've seen it now yeah. with yeah. we've seen it now with Robert Downey Jr., with Kurt Russell and with Michelle Pfeiffer, all of and whom jo- didn't they do it for Johnny Depp in one of the Pirates movies too? Yeah, oh that was terrible. That yeah. was real bad. Yeah. He looked nothing yeah. like him. That was weird. I think it's not just that we know what they look like before, but also like I think it's tougher with men because with women you're trying to make them look the way we make women look in movies where it's like they've never had a pore their entire life. So they can be really smooth. But men, it's like you need to get like the, right, the right. structure of their face a little more specific. Michael Douglas's face is very interesting. It's really hard to just like re reshape that into yeah. being young. Yeah. And he I, straight up still has old dude body. Yeah. <laughs> I remember the first time like this technology was discussed on this podcast, I think it was Russ Fisher was here on the podcast. We were talking about Wolver- X-Men Origins Wolverine and he said mm-hmm. Patrick Stewart comes out at the end looking like he came out of the Polar Express is what he what he yeah. said. Um, and they did it in X3 as well. Like that yeah, was I think I, one of the first big sequences. Well, one yeah. of the one of those movies and and like how we we have come a long way. Like he he Patrick Stewart did look terrible in that film. And now it, it is photorealistic, in my opinion. And sure. and, I, and I, my point that I was trying to trying to make there was like it. We they also have way more reference points for yes. these actors that actually you can go back and say, oh, this is how she looked in as Catwoman, or you know, in myriad other movies, you know, fabulous mm-hmm. Baker Boys for Christ's sake. Right. Mm-hmm. You could, and and you actually can go, oh, thank you. And you can actually go, oh, that's you know, that's actually how they looked on camera at that age. And I wonder if it's, if you have an, an actor who, for whom you don't have that uh, copious amount of <laughs> reference material, if it's more difficult or, 
you know, yeah. I don't know. It'd be yeah, interesting we'll, to find we'll, out. We'll, we'll see. Maybe we'll have an A-B comparison at some point. Um, but this also has implications for uh, the Captain Marvel film that's coming out next year because the Captain Marvel film uh, is theoretically, you know, uh, I'm going to tell you when Captain Marvel takes place. Mm-hmm. So if you don't want to know when that takes place, um, don't listen to the next. I also think we will make. certainly dive more into this in spoilers too. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. We yep. can we can wait mm-hmm. till spoilers. I'm cool with that. Um, uh, so I guess wait for a few seconds for spoilers yeah. for me to talk more about for me to finish the sentence I was going to say. So spoilers for Ant Man and the Wasp starting right now. Now you're looking for the secret. Trying to see this coming. No, but you won't find it because, of course, you're not going to see this coming. You're not really looking. I have been puzzling over how it works. You don't really want to work it out. Who's in the box? I have been dying to tell you. I want to tell you my secret. You want to be fooled. All right, so we're, we're going to spoil not not just Ant Man and the Wasp, but every Marvel film up to this point. So just FYI, <laughs> if you and moving seen, forward, if you haven't yeah. seen yeah, Captain Marvel forward. script, yeah, yeah, that's and right. movies not yet to be released. Yeah. yeah. Um, so theoretically, Captain Marvel was going to take place in the '90s, and it was going to show a uh, pre one eye getting damaged Nick Fury. Uh, and a two-eyed I, Nick Fury. That's right. I had just assumed that they would hire a younger actor for Samuel L. Jackson's character, but having seen Ant Man of the Wasp, I am no now. Need. I, I, yeah, they don't need to do that anymore. I feel like they could Although just. I, yeah, you can I, do I don't entire know. films now with just young Michelle Pfeiffer. Why not? Young, young. Ru- it's Kurt all the Russell. Congress. Yeah. yeah, it's the Congress. It's the Congress, all the Congress. Run yeah. the Congress and then be terrified. The Congress is so good. Uh, but the, we've seen this tech used in like a couple of minutes worth of scenes. Mm-hmm. I. Uh, I don't know what would it be like to do it for the entire movie. That would certainly be a milestone. So I, I agree. It's expensive, but yeah. I feel like we're yeah. quickly getting there. Oh, it's, it's yeah. It's a it's a couple of years away at most, and there will be a, a time when you kind of won't even know that they've sweetened people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It won't be about it won't be about a young Michelle Pfeiffer. It's just digital makeup. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It's um, it's interesting. Uh, when I was looking at Michelle Pfeiffer, young Michelle Pfeiffer on screen, like her, uh, you could see the red behind her eyelids you know what i mean i'm like whoa they've really nailed it like i was yeah. looking for the seams and i couldn't find them anyway uh the de-aging technology is awesome i agree with you jeff like it, we're a couple years out from them being able to make whole films based off of younger versions of of these car- of you know actors and um mm-hmm. it's just going to continue to bend reality okay guys let's talk about some of the plot details of ant-man and the wasp um first of all I think, Jeff, what you were saying earlier, uh, I think it's you that was saying it, is that in the first film, they kind of made it a big deal, the act of shrinking down and enlarging things. Yeah. Um, if I recall correctly, and please correct me if I'm wrong, but like, wasn't one of the reasons Dr. Ham- Hank Pym couldn't do it anymore was like because of the effect that it took on him to keep shrinking yes. and enlarging? Yeah. Um, whereas here, and also like the idea, I always thought the idea of being able to shrink things and enlarge things was like, you have the suit that allows you to basically defy the laws of physics because if you really shrunk down a human to that size, like they would not function for a variety of reasons. But in this movie, they have these devices that they can throw, like, you know, um, hope is driving them around in the car and they're like enlarging the car and shrinking it seemingly at will with no consequence whatsoever. Um, Yeah. And there's even a moment very early on with one of the first action sequences with the wasp where she's fighting a bunch of dudes and then, like, enlarges uh, – I can't remember what it is, but it, like, blocks the doors, like a loaf of bread or something. It was like, a salt shaker. Salt shaker, Salt yeah. shaker, right. And I'm like, why don't you just shrink the people? 
Just shrink all the people you're fighting. Oh, yeah. well, maybe that would be dangerous because that's like because remember that was like a whole plot point in the first one that like shrinking people, especially without like a helmet, is right. very dangerous. Like, that but, was but she, she doesn't kill she, you. Yeah, she, I mean, even if it does kill she's them, she's not it's, a murderer. <laughs> I guess that's true. She's not a murderer. She's just um, flipping cars over with people in them and throwing salt, gigantic salt well, shakers that's at people. True. I mean, like, you know, that's, that's one of those things, like, in the Fast and Furious movies where you're like, how many people just died there? Like, don't, don't think about it. Don't think about it. But, you know, if, if we think about the uh, the pragmatic aspects of this movie, I don't I don't know about uh, driving around in tiny cars in traffic. Yeah. yeah. It's pretty bad. It. It's a pretty Very bad nonchalant. idea. Don't Very do don't that. Care. I yeah. had so much fun when they pulled out that matchbox case, which <laughs> here's my only awesome. thing about it. I loved everything about that. I think one of the best jokes in the movie is when Lewis's teeny little matchbox car does the jump in San Francisco mm-hmm. that every movie does in San Francisco. But then yeah. it's just that's such a good moment. My only complaint is I guarantee you we're going to get a Matchbox car movie. And, like, I don't want one. That's my only complaint. I'm going to lodge that for the future. And while we're on things like that, uh, does does that building have no plumbing? (laughs) You can just detach it easily, right? Yeah. Yeah, And and when it's it's, it's re-enlarged, like, the bathroom works again, I guess? It's a portable tank system. Yeah. uh, Yeah. I I mean, like, you know, he's figured out how to get to the quantum realm. I'm sure he's, you know, maybe they have, like, a space station set up or something where it's, like, it vacuums it or something. I'm sure he's thought of something. Yeah. I feel like they're, like... I'd like to think that there's a fan fiction out there where someone dis- like indistinctly goes into how this works and it involves three seashells. It's always yeah, three seashells. It's al- always um, evokes for me that uh, that line from Thank You for Smoking where Rob Lowe is like, we'll put in a line of like, it's a space thing. You know, he's yeah. just like <laughs> so great. It's how the force works. Don't worry about it. Yeah. I do, I do, but overall, I agree that this movie plays fast and loose with the rules that its predecessor set up. You know, right, uh, right? Which is kind of a bummer. Like, it's okay. the The entire premise is ridiculous, but at least like try to stick by the rules that you have set up. Oh no, um, see, I don't care about that. <laughs> like, I mean, honestly, one of the things I like most about this movie is that they seem to not give a damn about what they had set up about hope from the first movie. Because, mm. like, hope in the first movie kind of exists mostly to just nag men and just be like, Scott, you're not funny. Dad, you're a jerk. And it's just like, <laughs> oh my god. And like. They, like, they give her nothing fun to do. She just is giving Scott a hard time. And then, like, she checks him out once and then they're making out. Like, I get that he looks like Paul Rudd, but their romance in the first movie doesn't work at all. And, like, Hope just drove <laughs> me crazy to the point where at the end when she's like, he's like, here's your suit. And she's like, about damn time. I was like, no, no, thank you. Like, I, don't, <laughs> I like, didn't want to see her as the wasp because she was just, you know, it was just this nag stereotype that they gave her nothing to do with except like they needed an inside man they needed scott to have a love interest so hope right. van dyne like it felt so much like just a cog in the works they needed and not like a character but in this movie i think that they relaxed a lot of stuff so she made a lot more sense for one thing it wasn't just like oh we'll just throw her in pepper pots old clothes and like this bad business casual look it was like, you know, they gave her her own look. She had like this, like she was always wearing black and she had the hair long. And and it's like it was like inconspicuous, but still chic. And like, you know, when she starts like kicking ass, you're like, no, that makes sense. You could do that in that outfit. I buy this. And I just thought it was really smart. And like then mm-hmm. they even make fun of the way she used to look in the flashback with Lewis where he's like, look at my hair. I'm all business. And I was like, yeah, that's exactly what that movie was about. <laughs> like her whole th- I mean, that's such a distillation of how that character came off. But I thought in this one. Um, they managed to soften her edges in a lot of ways that made her a real person instead of just this strident, shrill, sexist stereotype of like, you know, here's all the guys having fun and here's the Mm -hmm. nag just to bring us down. Like, (laughs) I I will say for the first movie, what I always read into her character is that she is she is rightfully angry 
about this loser coming she in and totally taking is. taking the like and that uh, to me like that was the entire movie right like that was her frustration and her working that out but yeah it wasn't very well written i definitely read that into evangeline lily's performance like she mm-hmm. wanted to do more and she was constrained by the stupid script and what you know what they expected right of this character. right and i feel like in this it's like they made the wasp a character i actually did want to see like with that yeah, first fight yeah. scene i feel like that first fight scene is like an apology to all of us that suffered through hope van Dyne in the first movie and like now we got it we've got something interesting for her to do and it's like she still gives scott shit and she still gives her dad shit but in a way that feels like a person and not mm-hmm. like someone needs to battle back with them so we can have conflict in a scene yeah and I, I thought that the chemistry between her and Scott actually worked this time. Like whether they're like, you know, joking around in a car when she's making fun of him about the Captain America thing. And she's like cap or when they're in that school closet. And like <laughs> she even got a joke. Like she makes fun of him when he's like the size of a kindergartner. And she's like, come on, you can do it. And like, I just <laughs> oh, such a great scene and such a yeah. clever idea. Such a clever idea. Well, well executed yeah. for the for the record, Christy. Uh, I'm also not bothered by them retconning Hope Van Dyne's characteristics. Uh, I'm more bothered by them retconning the fake science that they set up in the first. Film. Yeah. So <laughs> what's so funny is I rewatched that movie recently. And like, I'm like, I don't remember the fake science, but sure. you know, <laughs> I, I allow a lot of stuff because yeah. they're just like, oh, uh, photon quantum realm. Sure. Yeah. And just like what what has Michelle Pfeiffer been eating? Right. Right. How she <laughs> no, survived. Guys, no, guys. Oh, I assume those little bear bug things. Hold, hold yeah. on. Hold, eating- hold on. Hold on. Okay, slow your roll, Jeff. OK. Uh, it's very clearly set up in the first film that in the quantum realm, the normal laws of physics don't apply. Right. Which presumably means like her. I don't know. Rate of metabolism, all that shit is all uh, suspended, you know? So she should stop aging, though. Yeah. Uh, okay, yeah, good point. Yeah. <laughs> I retract everything I just said. I like um, the idea that I like, I love the idea that Christy puts forth that she's been just hunting tardigrades the whole time. Thank you. Well, no, the tardigrades are bigger. The tardigrades are bigger than the they quantum are, realm. They are, but she's ferocious. So, like, she's, she's just like, in the quantum realm. She's uh, just like uh, tore into some quantum tardigrades and yeah, ate, well, no, ate it, them it's raw. All, it's all the quantum <laughs> energy. And this is like the thing that I didn't quite dig from this movie because it's not like what she was eating, but they turned her into this weird, she basically seems to have like magical quantum powers. Yeah, now. she's like Jesus, quantum Jesus. Yeah. You know, like she has the heal quantum you. powers. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Um, anyway, okay, guys, we, we we need to talk about how this movie connects with uh, Avengers. Do we? Uh, <laughs> Infinity War. <laughs> yeah, because I, I it's it's fun. I was having so much fun with this movie. La 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 la. Mid credit scene. Oh yeah. By the way, the world is shit. Don't forget. Don't forget Avengers <laughs> happened, awesome. and you should feel like awful. Well, yeah. for, first of all, uh, <laughs> what the hell, like. I don't quite think these plot lines like lined up uh-huh. in, in the record because I think at the end of <laughs> Avengers Infinity War, correct me if I'm wrong, but wasn't Thanos like uh, messing up Earth? Like, wasn't there some kind of Earth stuff going on? They, they would have noticed something. Yeah, like wouldn't they yeah. have noticed some Earth stuff? Wasn't there some, some alien stuff going on? <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's... but I, I totally get what you're saying, but it's possible that they didn't because they're so tuned right. into their own thing. And like, the, Dave, the have you ever been to San Francisco? Yeah. <laughs> they're, so, they're so provincial. Like, they don't look outside. Of San no, no, but I mean, like, because like the things that are going on, it's like something happens in New York and something happens in London, right. but also the plot of Infinity War is only like two days i think yeah so it's like it's conceivable to me that like especially i don't know how i don't remember how long ant-man and the wasp lasts but it's definitely longer than two days so it just might be a time gap between the end of the movie and the post-credit scene too so yeah 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 right so maybe they knew about the crazy shit happening and didn't help 
uh, I mean, in that like, time yeah, game. maybe they that wasn't their. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, that's a good question. We should yeah. really once they're they're presumably returned from Ash. We'll uh, on, on that note, that like time. random observation. I did think that a lot of the stuff that happened, like all the stuff between Hope and. Uh, what's his name? Scott. Like their relationship, a lot of it felt like it, it took place off screen, right? Am I am Definitely. I uh, yeah. correct about that? Yeah, I thought that yeah. was an interesting choice. Like this whole thing about like him going to do that. Um, Marvel, uh, Civil, uh, the Captain uh, America yeah, Civil Captain America Civil yeah. War battle. Like that was a major inflection point in their relationship. Whereas in great. that in that movie, it's tossed off as kind of a mm-hmm. oh hey we found this dude you know and like they, he appears yeah. in the back of a van or whatever. It, it's so nice that there are consequences for what happens in Civil War. Oh, like totally. yeah, yeah, the entire movie is about him, or it starts with him being under house arrest, which I think great montage, and also I love it when sequels deal with consequences. So yeah, yeah. For- and I also like that it's like the story picked up where it gets interesting. And not like, well, now mm-hmm. let's give you a tedious scene where they have a fight or whatever. Like, we didn't need that. And like, you know, instead you yeah. get like Lewis explaining it, which that sequence, it is my favorite <laughs> sequence. Like, I just want Michael Pena to be in every Marvel movie doing one sequence. Yeah. Just, yeah. And oh. honestly, yeah, that sequence is great. And, and didn't, wasn't there one in the first movie too? Yes. Like, that's, yeah, that is like his superpower. That's his yeah. superpower <laughs> is to like tell the story in that wonderful way. I love that. Um, but I, uh, I just love, by the way, I just love thinking about how they filmed it, which is obviously right. they had Michael Pena say the whole thing and then they had to play back the right. audio yeah, of Michael like Pena while they're style. filming it so that mm-hmm. the lips line up. I just, I just, it tickles me <laughs> to think it's of like how they did it. a music video. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Anyway, Jeff, um, I, was I was gonna say, uh, th- as far as the ramifications for the greater Marvel Universe, uh, cinematic universe, I really like the fact that this really sets up Ant-Man as being potentially a pivotal character for (laughs) saving the universe. Yes. Uh, You know, which is pretty rad uh, that, you know, he, we, we get some indication that he has the ability in the quantum realm to time travel Mm -hmm. and that there is going to be, you know, Mm -hmm. Ant-Man could be the linchpin of the entire (laughs) thing that Dr. Strange saw, you know, that works. Yeah. Uh, People, people, you know, doubted it because he wasn't even in the poster for Avengers Infinity War, but right. it is kind of hilarious that he might be the key to solving the whole thing. For those who don't know, by the way, we should just say what happens in the post credit scenes, which is that uh, they build a miniature quantum time tunnel in the back of a van. <laughs> it sounds insane that I'm saying all this. And uh, they send Scott Lang through into the quantum realm. Uh, so that he can pick up some quantum energies. I assume because the healing uh, particles. Yes. I assume because Michelle Pfeiffer is super hungry and wants some delicious. Yeah. Also, for also that yeah. he's also going hunting for provisions. Oh, yeah. All she can, all she can eat now. She has a taste for it. And she wants to share with everybody. <laughs> you get you get that sweet bugbear meat once. You need it again. <laughs> so um, anyway, they send him through, and then while he's in the quantum realm. Before he can be extracted uh, from the quantum tunnel, uh, it it cuts to the outside where they're manning the machines. And you find out Hope Van Dyne, Hank Pym, and um, Michelle Pfeiffer's character. Janet Van Dyne. Janet Van Dyne Mm -hmm. have all been vanished to ash as with the, many of the characters at the end of Avengers Infinity War. So that's what happens at the end of this. Um, shocked, I think it's Van uh, Sorry, sorry, Van Dien. Uh Shocked uh, reactions in my theater. And I thought, I, I thought it was like a lot of people are down in it. Devendra, I've seen Devendra's reaction a couple times online. I thought it was delightful. I thought it was, 
Oh, um, it made me mad, but I also saw that coming. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I thought it was like, oh my gosh, like that's that is such a clever way of tying the movies in together and of figuring out a way for Scott Lang to avoid getting uh, vaporized. Uh, I why- do believe it was during our review yes, of you predicted Infinity it. Did you predict it, Jeff Kanata? Mm-hmm. I did. You I called it. Was- It'll be hilarious if we have this this really fun, delightful, happy thing at the end of it. It's like, wow, what a crazy Ant-Man adventure. And then half of them disappear into dust. <laughs> yeah. so here's what's funny. Which is so basically one, what happened. Yeah. I have a I have a piece up on sci-fi fangirls now about then like after that, they give you like something funny at the very end of credits to kind of lighten the mood again. And I said that like I have one major beef with this movie, aside from Too Little Michelle Ferrer, uh, and it is that that end scene should have been Luis instead of just an ant drumming. Because one, the joke is done. We've had that joke. It's tired. It's cute. But we've been there. But two, Luis, Luis sets up that he really wants a super suit. And I wanted that last scene to just be him sneaking around in the Ant-Man suit. Yeah. And for bonus fun times to hurt to like ease my ailing soul once you've infinity ward me all over again one lewis is we know he's not dead two he's in the ant-man suit so hooray pay like call back on that joke three make it the faulty one so when he does the shrinking thing he's just like child-sized and that's where it ends like that'd be hilarious you should be writing these post-credits screen uh, i'm just saying marvel i'm available um (laughs) but no and then uh what i wanted to point out about the other thing that happens in the mid set and mid credit scene is that janet warns scott about the time vortex which we Mm -hmm. talked about a little and like so he could be jumping around in time he could be and I, i talk about this more at length in another sci-fi piece coming up he could be maybe jumping back to the 90s when Captain Marvel said. Yeah. Mm. That's I mean, my I, bet I on their post that. I definitely expect that at this point. Can I say a crazy theory? Yeah, uh, predict that, Captain uh, Marvel for us, Jeff Kanata. Well, no, no, not this is not a Captain Marvel theory. Uh, I, and I, I hesitate to say this because I hesitate to say this. Uh, <laughs> You're in it now. What, what if, <laughs> what if the Ant-Man... <laughs> has been in things the whole time, but we yeah. just haven't been able to see him because mm. he was tiny. Ooh. And that the reveal is scenes shot from older movies, older Marvel movies, mm. revealing the fact that there's been a tiny Ant-Man in them the whole time. That would be just do the Futurama thing too, where like uh, the Nibbler thing, like I-, I think you can just like pretend like he was there the whole time too in certain right. respects. Yeah. Could be good, Jeff. Could also be mm-hmm. like a you know a Spectre, James Bond. Uh, it's me, yeah. James, the author of all your pain. It makes no sense, you know. Um, <laughs> could be. No, could I be don't that. think. That, yeah, okay, it could be that. But I think that that could be an amazing. Yeah, you have someone super tiny who's trying to. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. It could yeah, be. A it wonderful... could be. It could be great if they, if they show that he actually had like a a, a key role in each of those films. It, it mm-hmm. could be good. Yeah, yeah. he's just um, hanging out in Coulson's pocket. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, or yeah. or you know, like any every time, like the the shield bounced back to Captain America, it was he him was that was it. throwing it because that shield should not act in that way. It defies laws of physics. <laughs> yeah, um, physics. Yeah, uh, yeah. So uh, Jeff, uh, care, but do you care to make any other predictions before we wrap up about like do you, do you think in fact that Ant Man is going to be the cause of solving all this Thanos stuff? I think he's going to play a very much larger role in it than. Than we had originally than thought. We yeah. would think, yeah. I think we originally I thought think, he would play no role in it. Right? Well, I didn't think he would play no role. I thought, I thought, he, I, you know, I thought he would be. I was hoping he would be like he and and Hawkeye would be back mm-hmm. for the next uh, Avengers movie, and I still think that. I think that. Um, I think it's going to be interesting to see how they play this out. But he, it, what is 
certain is that he has a much more potent power base than we thought right now. He has the, the ability because of tapping into the quantum realm. That is a much more potent, uh, uh, much more possible impact on, on mm-hmm. the world. And I think that's going to be really exciting to see. Indeed. Indeed. All right. Well, let's wrap it up there. Uh, you can find more episodes of this podcast at slashfilmcast.com. Email us. Let us know what you thought of Ant-Man and the Wasp at slashfilmcast at gmail.com. Our theme song comes from adamwarrock.com. Our spoiler bumper comes from filmmaker Kyle Hillinger. Stay tuned to hear what we'll be discussing next week. In the meantime, Christy Puchko, where can people find more of your work on the internet this week? Well, I write all over the web. I write every day at pajiba.com. But you can find career highlights at decadentcriminals.com. And you can follow me on Twitter at Christy Puchko. That's K-R-I-S-T-Y-P-U-C-H-K-O. And keep an eye out because I'm going to be hitting Fantasia Film Festival in Montreal soon. And I'm going to be having tons of reviews of really weird genre stuff coming out of it. Nice. I'm pretty excited. Oh, man. Yeah. Jealous. Um, yeah, heard, heard that's a great fest. Jeff Kanata. Poutine and weird movies. Good times. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff Kanata. Where can people find more of your work? Uh, you can follow me on Twitter. I'm at Jeff Kanata, which is spelled with two N's and one T. And I do a video game show called DLC, which you can find at 5x5.tv slash DLC. How about you, Devendra? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at, at Devendra, and I write about tech at ngadget.com. Find all my stuff at uh, twitter.com slash Dave Chensky. That's Dave Chen, S-K-Y, and Dave Chen.net. You can also find my uh, video review and my written review of AMC Stubbs A-List uh, at DaveChen.net and SlashFilm.com. All right. Next week. You know, guys, uh, sometimes I like to give you a little little insight into the uh, horse trading that takes place in uh, behind the scenes of the Slash Film cast. Horse trading? Uh, and that horse trading happened this week when Devendra almost refused to review Skyscraper. But I said, you know what, Devendra? I'll throw you a bone. I'll review the Meg with you. If you do skyscraper, <laughs> I mean, so, we were going to review the Meg anyway. Everybody <laughs> wins in this scenario. So we are going to review skyscraper next week. Jeff Kanata, it's a movie you've already seen, right? I think it's going to be. A good I have. Episode. I saw it last night. I cannot wait to talk about it with you guys. Also, uh, I found out the the name of the web series that I was in with Randall Park. It's called oh, Ground Game. Nice. <laughs> good job. <laughs> nice nice. callback, Jeff. Nice callback. Thank you. All right, thanks for listening. I, would, to I just want to throw out: I've also seen Skyscraper, and I'm very excited that it's going to be reviewed on the show. It's, oh uh, guys, so oh much, boy. so much. I mean, so guys, I've waited so long to see Die Hard in a building. Die Hard in so a building, guys. Oh, Devendra, oh, do not. We're going to eat your words. That. You don't even know. You don't even know. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> I hope I it's fun. Guys, I this is the perfect... Episode, but you're going to eat your words. <laughs> the perfect movie to use AMC Stubbs A-list for. I'm just going to put that Oh, you there. betcha. <laughs> you betcha. I have that reserve. It's already reserved. Yeah. <laughs> All right, guys. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. We watch the movies. Flicks. Tracks for the good. That is the Slash Film Cast. For all the news and the movies coming out. Because you know that it's the thing worth talking about. Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts.